1982, Knoxville invited the world to come to a fair. If you want to see what makes the world go round, if you want to have the kind of fun that comes just once, in every lifetime, if you want to see how history is being made in Tennessee, Four decades later, the city is remembering that transformative event. Promoters of the fair claimed history was being made in Tennessee. And on this podcast series, we'll explore some memorable aspects of the fair and its legacy. I'm Ernie Freeberg, a history professor at the University of Tennessee. The department has partnered with WUOT and several community organizations to create this podcast series that we call When the World Came to Knoxville. And we're glad you've decided You've got to be here. The 1982 World's Fair. You've got to be there. At the 1982 World's Fair, Peru's delegation wanted to mark July 28th, their nation's Independence Day, with an unforgettable spectacle. But they ended up with more than they bargained for. Center stage at the Tennessee Amphitheater sat a large mummy bundle with a head that looked something like a small burlap sack. The bundle was discovered at an archaeological burial site in coastal Peru. A crowd of 450 people watched as two men in white lab coats began to carefully open the mummy bundle. For much of the event, the silence was pierced only by the occasional yell of a protester outside the arena. As they unwrapped the bundle, the scientists found a small flute, two small whistles, two ponchos, corn, a gourd, bits of silver, an ornament of a two-headed snake made of of mother-of-pearl and a rare shell, and the remains of a child. The procedure is being led by Dr. Bill Bass of the University of Tennessee. He holds the skull so the audience can see. This is obviously a child. The deciduous or baby teeth have just erupted, and I would say that he's in a neighborhood of two and a half, maybe three years of age. Here was an individual who was very well thought of, uh, who was missed when he died. Great care was exerted to bury this individual. Now well known as the founder of the anthropology department's body farm, in 1982, Dr. Bass was a rising star in the field of forensic anthropology. I think the reason they call me is because I was doing research on dead bodies, and we have something wrapped up here, and you, how about you opening that? And I said, oh, sure, I mean, okay, that'd be good. The mummy bundle arrived at McGee-Tyson Airport on April 28th in 1982, along with $40 million worth of gold and silver artifacts from Peru. Dr. Bass says that after he was brought on to the project, he insisted that the team x-ray the bundle so that they would know in advance what they would find. And so, I had an idea before we ever started, hey, we will have a skull and nothing from the skull down to the pelvic area, and then you got all the bones and things down there. But it was fun. Chad Black is a professor of Latin American history at the University of Tennessee who's been exploring this unusual event at the 1982 World's Fair. Peru's participation in the World's Fair was almost single-handedly the work of... Jorge Bosa, a young Peruvian entrepreneur and investor who was living at the time in Miami, Florida. 
He was approached by the butchers to see if he could put together a pavilion, um, which was, I think, the first representative they were able to secure from South America. Boza embraced the opportunity, and not only did he organize the Peruvian pavilion, but he also opened what he hoped would be a new chain of restaurants uh, at the fair and in uh, Oak Ridge. And with his personal family contacts um, in Peru, he was able to pretty quickly organize the pavilion's display items. When the fair opened in May, gold objects from the Peruvian exhibit were actually featured in the fair's promotional materials. And then as news spread of the planned unwrapping of the bundle, concerns and protests started to ripple through the Native American community in the United States. Where some saw the advance of scientific knowledge, others saw a spectacle that showed disrespect for indigenous people. According to Penn State historian Christopher Heaney, when Peru decided to send a mummy to be unwrapped at the Knoxville Fair, that was part of a much longer tradition. Inca and Andean mummies have been a way for the Peruvian state and its intellectuals to represent themselves in the, on the world stage um, in a form of soft diplomacy. Uh, this has gone back... Be- earlier than the 20th century, actually, to the 19th century. One of the first ways that uh, Jose de San Martin, uh, the, the protector of Peruvian independence, who declared Peru's independence in, in 1821, he sent a Inca, quote-unquote Inca mummy to the King of England as a present for the British Museum. Uh, this present was meant to sort of show Peru's love for England and to uh, interest England in protecting Peru's independence. And ever since then, so-called Inca mummies, because they weren't always Inca, but Inca mummies and Andean mummies um, have represented Peruvian antiquity, Peruvian history, sometimes the the, the belief, um, well, the knowledge, the fact that uh, the Incas embalmed, um, preserved their dead to extend their their social presence. And uh, in the 19th century, you see Peruvian museums built around them, um, as well as efforts by the Peruvian government to represent Peru at at World's Fairs from from the 1870s and to center uh, displays of Peru's possessions, its wealth um, with antiquities, but also Andean, mummified Andean remains uh, that um, go on in cases and then are sometimes subject to opening. Do you have a sense of how, like roughly, like how many, as you said, uh, scientific spectacle unwrappings were done outside of Peru? There were many displays and exhibitions of Andean remains, if if we're thinking not in terms of unwrappings, but mummies going abroad to be put um, on display. That that was ultimately like not that novel compared to what European and Americans could see in museums already of Andean remains and mummies. There were a lot of Andean, mummified Andean um, bodies uh, abroad from the 19th century on um, in major museums throughout um, the world. But big spectacles like this, where you have a theater full of people or a room full of reporters, as in the case of uh, the American Museum of Natural History a mummy in 1949. Um, these, I can think of, I can't really think of more beyond these two. UT historian Chad Black. 
So there were many bundles sent abroad to natural history museums and other venues, as well as domestic unwrappings as scientific spectacles in Peru. But the Knoxville affair was both unique in its size and its location. Arturo Jimenez Borja was likely sent to Knoxville because of his experience opening bundles in Peru. What Arturo Jimenez Borja wouldn't have anticipated, though, were the evolving politics of tribal recognition and patrimony of indigenous artifacts and remains in the 1980s in the United States. So who raised these concerns about the unwrapping? Well, more than a month before the unwrapping, on June 16th, a man named William Rattlesnake Jackson wrote to the offices of Senator Sam Nunn to protest, you know, this event. Jackson wrote, and I'm quoting here, We have called on you before and must do so again. We have information that the World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee, plans to unwrap an Aztec mummy 600 years old in full view of the public. We urge you to use any influence possible to see that this is not done because it is a violation of our sacred dead, of our religious rights, and an outrage against Indian people who respect their dead. A dinosaur is still a dinosaur after a million years, and the mummy is still a sacred ancestor to our people, no matter what tribe or what age. Such desecration would not be done against the bones of notable whites like Shakespeare, or any pope, or any past president or king. William Rattlesnake Jackson signed this as this letter to Sam Nunn as Principal Chief of the Southeastern Cherokee Confederation Incorporated of Leesburg, Georgia. Well, Senator Nunn's office forwarded it to Bo Roberts asking for any further information. And then it was followed by letters from around the world, from places as far afield as India and Afghanistan and France, all of which, by the way, repeated this mistaken identity of the bundle as of Aztec origin. Were other groups in the United States involved in this protest? Yes. In addition to the Confederacy, more established, long-lasting Native organizations took up the banner of protesting the event. Ron Andrade, executive director of the National Congress of American Indians, became probably the most vocal critic of the unwrapping of the press. He was a member of the La Jolla Nation in San Diego and was a long-time activist in American Indian advocacy. And his quotes in the press at the time demonstrate the depth of disgust at the spectacle and the sincerity of the protest. In the week before the protest, Andrade was quoted in the press, exclaiming things like, The World's Fair has very, very, very poor manners. We don't believe that any of the ancient religions should be held up to ridicule. They're doing this just for the pure publicity sake of it. This is nothing but a sideshow. Andrade encouraged Christians and Jews to boycott the World's Fair because of the planned unwrapping. He explained, It's very improper based on religion, whether it's our religion or anybody's religion. We think that our dead should be accorded the respect of other dead. But apparently, some people think it's okay to open up Indian burials. Andrade wasn't only calling for a boycott, he also was calling a curse down upon the participants in the unwrapping. He was quoted in the press as well as saying, There's a disease that people catch when they open these mummies. It's called valley fever. It causes very high temperatures and you can die from it. I hope this scientist catches valley fever. Were there any local groups 
indigenous groups that protested this event? Yes. In addition to Andrade, Jonathan Taylor, tribal council chairman of the Cherokee Reservation, just across Great Smoky Mountain National Park in western North Carolina, said in the press, We think the dead ought to be left alone and not displayed. This is not even human. We will do whatever is necessary to protest this. We are bitterly opposed to it. So were there actual protests during the the time of the opening? Originally, the unveiling was supposed to be done in the Peruvian pavilion itself. But as a result of the protests and people showing up in the day of the fair to protest the event, it was moved into an invitation-only event inside the Tennessee Amphitheater, you know, before around 450 people. Throughout it all, the participants on stage and representatives in the Peruvian Pavilion were adamant that this was a scientific exercise and not a religious one. So we're thinking in this series about the long-term impact, the legacy of the fair. Thinking about this incident and the protest around it, how would you answer that question? Well, in the end, the controversy over the unwrapping of the Peruvian mummy bundle proved to be a brief but important moment in the changing politics of indigenous representation and national diplomacy and patrimony. In the years following the World's Fair, Peru didn't put on any more international unwrapping spectacles. And in the United States, the passing of the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act formalized a new relationship between archaeologists, federal law, and tribal nations that was totally anticipated by the critiques indigenous people were using against the event itself. When the World Came to Knoxville is a four-part podcast series that looks at the history and legacy of Knoxville's 1982 World's Fair. It's a partnership between the University of Tennessee History Department, WUOT, the Knoxville History Project, the Tennessee Archive of Moving Image and Sound at the Knox County Library, and the East Tennessee Historical Society. The program is funded in part by a grant from Humanities Tennessee, an independent affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. I'm Ernie Freeberg, professor in the University of Tennessee History Department. Thanks for listening. The 1982 World's Fair. You've got to be there. 